Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Hello, everybody. This is Lisa Colon-Delay, the host of Spark My Muse and Soul School Lesson 287, The Curious Life of Quaker Comet Benjamin Lay. I researched this particular person because of a conversation I had with somebody, and the actual person and his life story are far more exciting, unique, and courageous than I was ever imagining. This man lived over 300 years ago, you probably never heard of him. He was a revolutionary abolitionist in the United States, one of the earliest, and he used a kind of performance art, a kind of performance protest that was outrageous at the time. It would even be considered outrageous now. And it allowed for people to be confronted with their hypocrisy, confronted with conviction. They had Their conscience had become dulled to. I'm just excited to relate the life of this interesting man. I think this would make a fantastic movie. Any of you people out there with connections to Netflix or the movie world, delve into the life of Benjamin Lay. He was born in 1682 in Essex, a part of England at that point known for its textile production, also its protests, and sometimes its religious radicalism. He was a third-generation Quaker, and he became a lot more dedicated than his parents or his grandparents in some of the convictions that Quakers hold dear. As a young man, he was an apprentice to a master glover in Essex, and this could have been his future. Such a life and a future did not agree with him, and he ran away to become, of all things, a sailor. This was at the beginning of the 1700s, and he was about 21 years old at the time. So for about a dozen years, he lived at sea and in London, and he shared cramped quarters, as you might expect, on these ships with, with people from different ethnicities and nationalities, had to cooperate with them within harsh conditions and tiny cramped quarters. During his time at sea, he heard, he heard some really horrifying stories of sailors describing the slave trade. Later on, during an 18-month time as a storekeeper in Barbados, he saw firsthand some of the horrors of the slave trade and slavery playing out. In England at the time, it was nothing like the New World, the Caribbean, and, and the American colonies. Slavery happened in England, but overwhelmingly the, the slave trade affected the American hemisphere. In Barbados, he witnessed an enslaved man kill himself rather than submit to another whipping. And he also witnessed plethora of other horrors in the British colony. It both traumatized him and gave him a sense for the immorality of slavery. It drove him to call for immediate abolition of it. 
One of the earliest records of his participation in organized Quakerism originates in America in 1717. Even though he was from London and based there, he sailed to Boston and requested a certificate of approval from local Quakers to marry another Quaker, Sarah Smith, of Demford, England. She was, like him, very small in stature. Benjamin Lay was only about four and a half feet tall and had extreme curvature of the spine and likely had the condition of dwarfism. That seems to also have been true of Sarah Smith. He was a firebrand, and unlike him, she was popular and an admired preacher in the Quaker community. So the letter stated, Clear from debts and from women in relation to marriage, we believe that Benjamin is convinced of the truth relating to his religious convictions, but for want of keeping low and humble in his mind, hath by an indiscreet zeal been too forward to appear in our public meetings. What the English Quakers were saying in this reference letter was that he was disturbing the peace. At the time, he had been calling out his brothers and sisters as covetous, those who had been corrupted by worldly wealth. So he was already getting a reputation for himself as a person who would speak his mind and convict other people of sins if he saw them. In England, he was disowned and formally expelled from two congregations. He set sail for Philadelphia in March 1732 and went to Pennsylvania for what William Penn was calling the Holy Experiment. A lot of people were making their way to Pennsylvania and anticipated a future of great liberty. Philadelphia was North America's largest city at the time, and it included the world's second largest Quaker community. At the Great Meeting House at Market and Second Streets, Philadelphia Quakers had their monthly meeting. And some there were powerful, wealthy Quakers. Anthony Morris, Jr., Robert Jordan, Jr., Israel Pemberton, Sr., John Kinsey, Jr. They led both religious and political life of the colony of Pennsylvania at the time. They even oversaw all the publications, vetted all the publications going through the Quaker Board of Overseers. So friends, the Society of Friends, the Quakers, came to Pennsylvania at that time to do good, but also, in turn, to do well. And they did very well. Three of those leaders, and probably all four of them, owned slaves at the time, which is very common in the United States, both in the North and the South. The majority of Philadelphia Quakers enslaved African people. When Benjamin Lay arrived in Philadelphia, he was shocked by the bondage he saw of so many people. It was fundamentally different with what he had witnessed in England. At the time in Philadelphia, one in 10 people were enslaved. In Barbados a decade earlier, nine out of 10 people were enslaved on the island. The levels of violence and repression were significantly lower, but bondage, violence, and repression were a daily reality in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Benjamin Lay commented that the grinding labors of the enslaved people contrasted tremendously with the idleness of the enslavers. 
the growling empty bellies of enslaved contrasted to the lazy, ungodly bellies of the enslavers. He said slave keepers were perpetuating this inequality by leaving these workers as property to their proud, dainty, lazy, scornful, tyrannical, and often beggarly children for them to domineer. That's a direct quote. When Benjamin came to Philadelphia, he befriended Ralph Sandiford, who had published an indictment of slavery over the objection over the Board of Overseers three years earlier within the Quaker community. He found a young man in very poor health and, as he put it, in a very disturbed affliction of mind. Sandiford had moved from Philadelphia to a log cabin about nine miles east. At the time, that was pretty far away because we're talking of a time of horseback. And he saw that this man was a very tender-hearted man and concluded that oppression makes a wise man mad. Ralph Sandiford had endured a lot to protest against slavery. At this point, Lay began to stage public protests to shock the conscience of fellow Quakers so that they would be aware of their moral failings in relation to slaveholding. Commodities such as tobacco and sugar were profitable chiefly because of the exploited labor from slave labor. So as a way to shock his fellow Quakers, he came to a meeting with tobacco pipes stuck in his clothes. At the end of the meeting, he smashed the pipes among the male ministers and among the women ministers and among the congregation assembled. And with each smash, he protested slave labor, luxury, and poor health caused by smoking the stinking sotweed. He sought to awaken his brothers and sisters to the politics of the seemingly most insignificant choices. When it got cold in Philadelphia, he stood at the threshold to the Quaker meeting house, knowing his brothers and sisters would pass by, and he uncovered completely his right leg and foot and put it in the snow. This would be such a shock to all of the congregants meeting. It would be like showing up in a bathing suit to church. When one after another would recognize what he was doing and urge him to not expose himself to the cold, he would reply, oh, you pretend compassion for me, but you do not feel for the poor slaves in your fields who go half-clothed all winter. They said that he gave no peace to the slave owners. At times when someone would stand up to speak business in the meeting, he would jump to his feet and cry out, there, there's another Negro master, to embarrass them. They kept removing him and eventually had to appoint a guard to keep him out of all the meetings all around Philadelphia. And sometimes that wasn't even enough. One time they tossed him into the street and it was a rainy day and he came to the door of the meeting house again and just laid in the mud so that every single person leaving the meeting would have to step over him. Eventually he and his wife moved to Abington, just a little bit north of Philadelphia. He was not well received to the Quakers in that area either. So for two years, he spent a lot of his time write, writing a passionate treatise, a pamphlet called All Slave Keepers That Keep the Innocent in Bondage, Apostates. This is something that Benjamin Franklin agreed to publish, but he kept his name off as the publisher. And this pamphlet is a mixture of autobiography and prophetic biblical polemic against slavery. 
writings by others, and descriptions of slavery in Barbados. And it's also a scathing account of his struggles against enslavers within the Quaker community. He knew that he could never publish this book within the Quaker community because of the Board of Overseers. So that's why he went to Ben Franklin, a printer in Philadelphia, and asked him to publish it. This happened in August 1738. This pamphlet became a founding text of Atlantic anti-slavery, an important advance in abolitionist thought. Until then, no one had ever taken such a militant, uncompromising, and universal stand against slavery. He said that slave keeping was filthy, gross, heinous, hellish sin, and a soul sin, the greatest sin in the world. He argued that no man or woman, no lad or lass ought to be suffered. To pretend to preach truth in our meetings, he said, while people live in that practice of keeping slaves is a lie. The hypocrisy in his view was too much to bear. And because of that, slave keepers bore the quote, mark of the beast. They embodied Satan on earth and they should be cast out of the church. He was certainly a firebrand and he earned the name the Quaker Comet. There was a generational struggle at this time among Quakers over keeping slaves during the 1730s. As you recall, 1776 is when we declared independence from England. These struggles among religious people in Philadelphia, their convictions about whether to keep slaves or not, whether it was right or not, was happening long before we declared independence. Nevertheless, because of how easy it was to amass wealth through free labor, the debates were heated, and the, the fight for freedom for enslaved people was a very long fight. But attitudes among the Quakers were starting to change. Benjamin Lay would repeatedly declare that his most determined enemies were the elders in the Quaker community. Many of these elders were wealthy, particularly Anthony Morris, Israel Pemberton, and John Kinsey. He said that, quote, time for such old rusty candlesticks to be moved out of their places. In the fall after his pamphlet was published, the Board of Overseers issued an official condemnation and proclaimed that his book contains gross abuses, not only against some of their members in particular, but against the whole society of friends. The author is not of their religious community, they stated. They expelled him. In Abington, he built his own home, and he selected a spot near a spring. He erected a small cottage that he had made from a cave. He lined the entrance with stone, and he created a roof with sprigs of evergreen. The cave was apparently spacious enough, a spinning wheel, which he spun flax on, and a large library. He also planted apple trees, peach trees, walnut trees, and tended to a large bee colony. He cultivated potatoes, squash, radishes, and melons. Because of his sensitivity toward all living things, he refused to eat flesh. He only drank water and milk in a time when people typically drank beer and wine and only ate fruits and vegetables. He made his own clothes to avoid the exploitation that happened during the making of clothing by slave labor. He also boycotted all the commodities produced by slave labor. That would be sugar, coffee, tobacco, many, many other things. Finally, in 1757, when he was 75 years old, a visitor brought him news. 
a group of Quaker reformers had undertaken an internal, quote, purification campaign calling for a return of simpler ways of living. Stricter church discipline and a gradual end to slavery, Lay was told that the Philadelphia yearly meeting, after much agitation from below, had initiated a process to discipline and eventually disown Quakers who traded slaves. Slaveholding itself was still permitted and would be for another 18 years, but this was the beginning and the first step towards abolition for all Quakers to be rid of the institution of slavery and to follow their convictions and conscience. As he reflected on this, Benjamin Lay is said to have rose from his chair and in an attitude of devotional reverence said, thanksgiving and praise be rendered unto the Lord God. Now I can die in peace. About two years later, he died February 3rd, 1759 at the age of 77. I left out a bunch of things about Benjamin Lay, but that is the gist of what I wanted to share today. And it is an incredible story of radicalism, really. Perhaps because he was so different than other people, he was so unusually small and strange looking, it had given him a heart for being treated differently. Seeing what he saw in Barbados, seeing nine out of 10 people be enslaved and treated terribly, he really had a heart for, for every person and for all God's creation to be treated with kindness and justice. This little biographical snippet was very beautiful for me to read, and I continue to be amazed that such a person could even exist. This is over 300 years ago. It's a time when something so common, so taken for granted, was confronted with fiery prophetic proclamation to examine the conscience and to do right by God and by others. And I wonder also, what is the corollary? What is the corollary for us today? We might look back at other times and think, well, I would, I would never enslave somebody. I would never stand by idly while people were being dragged off to concentration camps. I would have been different. Largely, the church in Germany let it happen, even sided with the government, our country. What is the Holocaust of our time or the genocide of our time or the great sin and injustice of our time? There's probably a few. There's human trafficking. That's a giant problem. There's exploitation. There are asylum seekers, refugee seekers, migrant workers trying to get away from the chaos and turbulence and wars in their area, the instability that they have to find hope here. Many of them are Christians even, and we turn a blind eye to their problems and to their suffering and to their humanity. Who are the prophetic protesters? that are pricking our conscience today? How can we make a difference so that we can awaken people to what we should be awakened to? I would like to hear from you. Have you ever heard of Benjamin Lay? Have you ever heard of this firebrand Quaker Comet? Let me know if you have not heard of him. I would love to hear your comments on the companion page. You go to sparkmymuse.com for that and click on the companion page link. Tell me if you enjoyed this little biography our powerful, small-in-stature brother, Benjamin Lay. Remember that on December 7th is the beginning of four days of an amazing set of teachers, leaders, speakers, and luminaries at the Contemplative Summit. This is a free event, and it's amazing that this is a free event. 
You can find a link to Save Your Spot at sparkmymuse.com. And I hope you'll come and enjoy the time. You can watch whatever you're able to watch. And then you can watch what you can't watch at any time because it'll all be recorded. I hope you'll join me again next week for a new episode. And until then, I wish you blessing and peace. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.